0: Welcome to the Sue Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Van Buzekum, and our guest today is Dr. Jesse Christensen, who will help us better understand the veterinary client-patient relationship and the new rules going into effect soon. So, Jesse, thank you so much for for taking time out of your busy day to talk to me and our listeners here. Uh, we're we're glad to have you here.
1: Hey, Dr. Evan, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Let's kind of just get right into the meat and potatoes of everything and start with what is the new GFI number. 263 rule from the federal government, and what are the requirements under this new rule?
1: So this rule isn't really a new concept. It's more of a expansion on or rules that have already been in place. Um, in the past, it's been that certain antibiotics can only be used under veterinary oversight. With this new rule, GFI 263, it is now saying that All antibiotics for all species, small animal, large animal, equine, etc., including penicillin, sulfas, and oxytetracyclines, are now only allowed under veterinary oversight. So these products are now going to carry a label statement saying, caution, federal law restricts these drugs to use by or on the order of a licensed veterinarian. For most producers. I don't see this becoming an issue as far as getting, having access to these antibiotics, but it's more for those producers that don't necessarily work with a veterinarian on a regular basis or at all, because those are the producers that do not have the veterinary client patient relationship.
0: When does this go into effect? The reason I ask that is because I know that both of us work for Sunation Ag Center. Both of us have been pretty much doing this for all antibiotics since 2019, when they started to kind of roll out the more veterinary oversight mandates, if you will. When does the new rule 263, when is it in effect completely?
1: So all the drugs will require this labeling come June of 2023. And yeah, you're right. Most veterinarians are kind of already doing this and that we've kind of seen coming down the line. So we're already putting prescription labels on everything and making sure that we've got relationships with the people that are coming in and asking for stuff. So it's like I said, it's more going to affect those producers that don't have a relationship with a veterinarian and maybe just pick up their products from the local farm store rather than those that are working with their vet already.
0: You know, you mentioned that a lot of Producers are already working with their veterinarian. They already have that relationship. Some producers don't. Can you go through with me what is required to have of VCPR?
1: That's a really good question because honestly, it varies from state to state. Being that I practice only in South Dakota anymore, I'm really only familiar with South Dakota's definition or requirements. So I would encourage people to you know, especially if they're not in South Dakota, to be in touch with their veterinarian about what the requirements are for their state. But the VCPR for us really has multiple parts and is directed towards the veterinarian and the client. With a VCPR, it means the veterinarian has assumed the responsibility for making those medical judgments regarding the health and the need for medical treatment based on what they know about the livestock or pets even, as well as the livestock operation. And that the veterinarian is also available for follow-up if there were to be an emergency or a treatment failure or otherwise. And then the client portion of it is that they are agreeing to follow the instructions of the veterinarian. And those instructions should be written on a prescription, usually like attached to the antibiotic or product bottle but sometimes they come as a separate sheet it kind of just depends on the you know how the veterinarian does it but the directions are there and should be followed
0: if i remember right from minnesota i practice in minnesota north dakota and south dakota i guess i kind of just you know if someone was going to say hey your your life depends on this i couldn't answer but i just kind of took the most stringent requirements of the vcpr and just apply it to all the states that way if i'm doing extra, I'm doing extra and I'm still not at fault, but the script needs to be printed if it's not per label directions on and and stuck to every package of drug, not the box. It has to be in the base packaging on the bottle or the bag for like water soluble meds. And I think that in the future, especially as this mandate goes through, we'll have to start putting it on the drugs, even if it is per label directions. It'll say Dr. Van Busiekum and have all the requirements of like where I practice, license numbers, those kinds of things and say, hey, use it this way, just as it says on the label. But for the VCPR for me, and you can extrapolate on this as well, what you require um, is that I have been to the site and that I have a way to contact the owner and they contact me before using antibiotics and that if needed, I could at least draw on a piece of paper, the farm site, or describe the way the animals move. Some of our growers, when this works for even for beef cattle, like for a feedlot, where do the calves get placed? Do they have a working facility? How do they move through the feed yard? You know, that kind of a thing. So as long as you can describe that and you know kind of prove that you've been there before... And there's some billing history to also validate that claim saying, hey, I was at their facility on such and such a day. It has been less than a year since I was there last, or less. Some veterinarians say less than six months. That might be something that people are going to have to get used to. Is that I know for Minnesota, there has to be a visit within the last six months for most veterinary clinics. And that includes for like reproductive hormones. Like some of my friends and family have to have a visit on file to get GNRH or to get Ludolice to loot heifers. They need to have a a valid VCPR with a visit within the last six months.
1: Right. And I think one of the things that people don't understand is, I mean, admittedly, we don't know how much oversight there's really going to be by the federal government on this rule. But the fact is, is if a veterinarian were to get caught prescribing or administering treatments to animals that they are not familiar with, we have the potential to lose our license. And, you know, we lose our license, and one, we're no longer available to them to help them make those medical judgments, but we've lost our livelihood.
0: And you know, we talked about the requirements for active vine- veterinary client-patient relationship. It does benefit veterinarians a little bit, in my opinion, because it helps us kind of cover our keisters, uh, also prescribe the right antibiotic for the right illness because my experience has been with the customers i work with and you've probably seen this as well that when the decision as to what antibiotic to use is in the hands of the producer they don't always pick the right one and they might spend five days or seven days like i'm gonna use turkeys as an example they might spend five days on oxytetracycline and through the water and that drug had no benefit And was never going to benefit the illness they had on their farm. It can be expensive, you know. It might be fifteen hundred dollars or three thousand dollars to run that antibiotic for that amount of time. And with our input and guidance, we can save them that money by not medicating that flock for something that wasn't going to be helpful. Are there any other benefits for customers and slash producers? I guess with this new.
1: That exactly is one of those that comes to mind for me too. I think of multiple situations where I've had a client come in and be like, I use this doc and it didn't work. And I work primarily with beef cattle and usually they're pulling the most expensive drug. And I'm just like, Oh man, Hey, no, no, it didn't work because that's totally the wrong drug. And instead I give them like one of the cheapest ones. Cause I'm like, this is the one that you need for this situation. You know? So yeah, saving the per- the producers some money on those expensive drugs is one definite benefit, as well as because they've got a veterinarian that they're working with regularly and is visiting their operation regularly. They should be able to get advice and get uh, suggestions on what they can do to help improve the health of their animals. Like I said, I work primarily with beef cattle, so a lot of cow-calf operations. And it's like, whoa, you've been using a lot of this specific drug lately. You know, you've been picking it up here or, you know, it's been dropped off or whatever. What's going on? You know, and all of a sudden we realize there's something we need to be addressing in our vaccine protocol. We can do as far as management goes or even calling in our nutritionist. And just be like, hey, we got something going on here. We can fix this now and then not have to spend the money on the antibiotics later or lose the calves later or whatever. So I see, I mean, I, I realize that there's a lot of producers out there that are just like, oh, this is just a way for veterinarians to make more money because not going to be able to charge us for visits. But the fact is, is when we go out there for those visits, they should be asking us questions and talking to us and taking advantage of the fact that we are out there because that's what we're there for. We want to help them.
0: Even as a veterinarian, I still benefit from having other veterinarians come out and see my operation, and especially if they're beef focused and they have they're the ones who are on the cutting edge of of beef practice, right? I mean, the more cattle you see, the more you work with, the more you're going to learn. And so
1: one of the other benefits that I see to this VCPR requirement or I guess the rule requirement and thus utilizing the VCPR more is that we're not just benefiting our livestock producers individually, but the livestock industry as a whole. This is a really good opportunity for the industries: poultry industry, beef industry, dairy industry, etc., to help increase consumer confidence in what we do. You know, we can be like, no, we have to work with a veterinarian. We are working with people that are knowledgeable about what we're doing. We are using our antibiotics judiciously and appropriately. We've got these rules in place. This is what we're doing. So hopefully then consumers can feel more confident about the products that they're buying from the grocery store.
0: So changing gears a little bit. What are some changes that are affecting other aspects of vet care that are coming up in the future? I heard a little bit about some changing implant rules.
1: Yeah, so this is another one that's coming down. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, Also in June of 2023. So apparently the government's quite excited about next June. Um, (laughs) And this is geared towards Uh, our cattle producers, but we will no longer be able to re-implant cattle with the ear implants, the growth implants within the same growth phase, unless the implant is specifically labeled for re-implant. So it sounds kind of confusing, but to me, the two biggest keys for this is one, understanding what the government has listed as their defined growth phases, which I would argue is a little bit different than what I'm used to working in the industry as well as knowing which implants to choose because there are some companies that have already gotten approval for the re-implant strategies. So I did kind of go through and double check these phases that the government has approved for implants. So you can implant your nursing beef calves and that's one phase. And then the next phase would be the weaned steers or calves, or I'm sorry, weaned steers or heifers, and that's dairy or beef breeds. Um, And this is what I would kind of consider as maybe like our, excuse me, our stalkers or our backgrounders. And then the third phase is the growers. So this would be what I would consider our finishing yard, but dairy, beef, steers or heifers. But like I said, they can only receive one implant within each of these growth periods, unless the implant has already been labeled for re-implant strategy.
0: And there's one other tidbit, if I'm not mistaken, uh, unless the cattle change ownership.
1: Right. That is another point. And I, I had a nice conversation with Dr. Gary Sides. He's kind of the guru with Zoetis on, um, implants and really within the industry for implants about that and he said yeah if they change ownership then it kind of wipes the slate clean so again that producer that is maybe retaining ownership of their calves might have a little bit more of a struggle here because they should have records of everything but if the animals are changing ownership then like I said it should kind of wipe the slate clean, not that we should be withholding information from each other as far as whether they received an implant or not, but it does give us a little bit of leeway.
0: One thing to, to maybe look at if people are maintaining ownership of their calves and taking advantage of the bulls and the cow herd that they've created to capture all that value on the finished side of the steer business, maybe they just have to have a cow-calf LLC and then a finishing LLC to have them change ownership, right? Um, just to if that affects their implant schedule, if that affects you know how they're making money and making a living, just something to kind of keep in mind for our listeners to to consider. I'm guessing that with the phases that they've described, uh, you know, basically on the cow, off the cow, and in the feedlot, there aren't going to be necessarily a lot of people affected. At the moment, I, my guess is that most producers are using one or two implants and they would fit within these, these guidelines. So that's kind of nice, but otherwise change in ownership isn't terribly hard to do.
1: Some are going to be more affected by this than others. You know, the cow-calf side of things, again, where kind of my expertise is, I don't foresee my cow-calf people being affected too much, but I am just going to put a little plug if you're not implanting your calves on your operation while they're still on the cow, talk with your vet because there may be some really awesome benefits to doing it. But I, I think that this is going to be a bigger issue for, again, those people that are retaining ownership, um, feeding out their own animals, and somebody that goes and they've got a finishing lot, but they're buying calves at five, six, seven hundred pounds you know, they've got a lot of growth that they're trying to put on them.
0: Right. And there's also some implants you can use for heifers that may in turn turn into replacements. Cause I, I've been looking into this a fair amount myself. Maybe that'll be a great uh, future episode. We can kind of talk about some implants that are labeled and allowed to use for heifers that are still geared to possibly being replacements. So if you're concerned about keeping your own replacements and you're, you know, you're not sure if this heifer is going to make the cut, because who really is until weaning, some of those implants that could still be put in, even if the heifer is destined to be a replacement heifer.
1: Right. I think that's a really good point. And with this rule and that point and just all the unsaid, argue false information out there about implants that makes them so negative. I think producers, cow-calf producers especially, are leaving so much money on the table by not implanting their calves and so this is something that rather than discouraging people from implanting i think it should prompt people to start a conversation with their veterinarian and their nutritionist
0: with that being said is there anything else you'd like to kind of say to our listeners and that we may have missed or any other points
1: my biggest thing is Work with your vet. <laughs> um, really, this I'm, the whole episode, honestly, here today comes down to the VCPR, you know, and having a good relationship with your veterinarian. But, oh, my gosh, we want to help. We want our producers to be successful, um, and we don't want to see them struggling with disease issues and production issues, management issues, and et cetera. Like we've got a lot of knowledge that we would love to share. Um, So talk to your veterinarians. Sue Nation's pretty awesome because we've got nutritionists on hand. We've got experts in even financial stuff on hand. So we we can provide people a lot of information and resources so
0: sounds good thank you jesse so much for being here today And, and yeah and for our listeners if you didn't find us entertaining hopefully you found us useful